0: Oh, God, show us how the wonder of your love appears in all the days of life. Then help us to see it and to embrace it and to share it. Amen. We uh, know the story that's coming up, the Christmas story. We won't read it until tomorrow night, but we know it. Mary, who sings today, will give birth to a son. She'll wrap that baby in swaddling clothes and lie that baby in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. Tomorrow night we will read that familiar story, we'll reflect on it, and we'll sing. Of course we will sing. The angels sang when they proclaimed to the shepherds that Christ has been born. Shortly after the birth of Jesus, when He was taken to be dedicated in the temple... An old man named Simeon sings. A prophetess named Anna sings. Of course, we sing. I don't think there's a time in the life of the church when we are so willing and eager to sing as we are at Christmas. At Christmas, we proclaim the hope and the peace, the joy and the love that has been our themes of Advent. There's warm sentiment all around. But there's one song that we dare not sing at Christmas because it would put a damper on all our Christmas cheer. The song we would never sing at Christmas, that we really would never want to sing anytime, is the song that Mary sings today. It's a hard song sung by a very unlikely person. When Mary sings today, we know very little about her. We've read that Mary was a virgin, engaged to a man named Joseph, but not yet married. And in that condition, she has an angel come and visit her and say things like, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Now you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son, You'll give him the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary had a lot of questions, a lot of puzzled looks and worries about what in the world this angel was trying to say. But in the end, she agrees and says, so may it be, even though she certainly didn't understand any of it. And right after that story that we know, Luke tells us that Mary goes with haste to see her relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who also is pregnant, why does she go in haste? Perhaps she goes in haste because she just wants to spend time with someone who's in the same condition she's in as a person who is pregnant. Now, of course, Elizabeth, there was a great deal of mystery about her being pregnant. She was way too old to have a baby, but at least she was married and now she's pregnant. Mary is pregnant and she's a virgin. Maybe Mary left town in a great haste to go stay with her relative Elizabeth because she didn't want to have to explain what in the world happened to her because my guess is that most everybody in town, when they would hear this notion of an angel speaking to Mary and saying you're going to get pregnant even though you're a virgin, they would laugh her out of town or shame her out of town, perhaps even stone her. So she went with great haste. She spent three months with her relative Elizabeth. And Luke tells us that when when Elizabeth first sees Mary come to her, the the child, Elizabeth's child, leaps in its womb. Elizabeth says this, filled with the Holy Spirit. She says, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why has this happened to me that the the mother of my Lord comes to me? Blessed is he who believed all that the angel had said. When Mary hears this song of blessing from Elizabeth, that's when she sings. The song that she sings we call the Magnificat. That word Magnificat is Latin for magnifier, as in my soul magnifies the Lord. This most unlikely person, this young girl who is pregnant even though a virgin, She sings her song. I read something else this week about Mary. In this this song that she sings, she says that, um, that God looks upon with favor the lowliness of His servant. And this word servant, as I read this week, might mean that Mary literally was a servant. Mary literally was a slave. And that wouldn't be uncommon because many Jewish people would have had to sell sell themselves into slavery to Rome in order to get by. So maybe this young girl who is pregnant, not only is she a young virgin who's pregnant, she's also a slave. Perhaps that makes perfect sense that God would choose someone like that to bring the Son of God into the world. Now, of course, everybody knew, though, that Caesar was really the Son of God. Everybody knew that, but now there's a new message and Mary has come to proclaim it. It's a hard song sung by a very unlikely person. It's a hard song because it's all about God's reversal of everything that we know, everything that we crave in life. It doesn't ooze the sentiment that we love to sing about at Christmas. It's a hard song because it reminds us that God is going to show up in unexpected ways among unexpected people. Did you hear her song this morning? Mary sings of a God who has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Mary sings of a God who has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Mary sings of a God who has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. It's a hard song for us to hear because we very often are the proud and the powerful and the rich. I came across a quote just this morning and I had to include it somewhere, so here it is. It's from Henry Nouwen. Where is God? Nouwen asked. God is where we are weak and vulnerable, small and dependent. God is where the poor are, the hungry, the handicapped, the mentally ill, the elderly, the powerless. How can we come to know God when our focus is elsewhere on success and influence and power? I increasingly believe that our faithfulness will depend on our willingness to go where there is brokenness and loneliness and human need. If the church has a future, it's a future with the poor in whatever form that may be. Now one points us toward Mary's song, and reminds us that this morning we don't hear the the sweet sentiment of the birth of the baby Jesus in the manger. Instead, we hear the power of God who is overturning all our expectations, all our thoughts of what life is supposed to be in the most unlikely way through this young girl, this pregnant virgin, who will come and give birth to someone whose first bed is in a feed trough. A baby who will grow up and be hated very soon because of the things he said and the things he did. And the powerful people will make sure that that baby who grows up will get killed because of the way he lived and because of the things he did. They'll make sure that he dies on a cross. This morning, though, Mary gives us a hint of all that is to come, God's great reversal of all things. And she does it by singing. I love Christmas carols. I guess you do, too. Now, you can't hear me singing from up where I sit, and I'm facing this way, so you can't hear me, and that's a good thing. But I like to sing most of the Christmas carols, in the way that I learned them growing up. When I was growing up, we had three records. Records are these things. Kids, if y'all don't know what records are, ask your parents or grandparents. They'll know. We had three records that was constantly on the um, record player. One of them, of course, was the Partridge family Christmas card album. And actually, there was a signed Christmas card. I'm sure that it was you know, individually signed by each person in the Partridge family. That was one of them. If you don't know the Partridge family, ask those same folks. Another one was, of course, my mom's favorite, which was Elvis's Blue Christmas. And then the third one was Bing Crosby's Christmas, with the wreath around Bing's head with the little Santa hat. That was my favorite. So when I stand up here and sing Christmas carols on Sunday mornings, I like to sing like Bing does. Of course, Bing's been dead for 20 years, so that's how I sound, I guess. And my favorite time to sing Christmas carols is when we go Christmas caroling. Last Sunday afternoon was no different. We left here. Several of us did. We went caroling at some of the homes of our our, uh, homebound church members. A few years ago, Kim made up this booklet for us. That we could take and sing, and we've had it for, I don't know, several years now. And there's songs in there that we all know. Joy to the world. Of course, I like to sing like Bing on that one. O Little Town of Bethlehem. Again, I like to sing like Bing. Silent Night, Bing. Heart the Herald Angels sing Bing. Rudolph. Bing. And we sing those songs at many of the houses in homes, places we go to. But then something happened this year that hadn't happened before. It was at the last house we'd gone to see, and it was, it was with Louise Mitchell. And we'd gone to sing with Louise, and Louise's grandson, Caden, was with us. And we'd sing several of these songs that we mentioned, and Caden said, Let's sing Do You Hear What I Hear? Now, of course, Bing sang that song, and so I could do the, do you hear what I, that part, but that's all I knew. I didn't know the song at all. And so I was kind of nervous about us singing it, but we sang it. And as we sang it, I was very moved by the words of that song, that song that Caden picked out for us to sing. So when I got home that night, as soon as I got home, literally as soon as I got home, I got on Google and started looking up. Um, Do You Hear What I Hear? And I came across this about this song and I just want to share it with you. It was written by a man named Noel Regney. Mr. Regney was born in France and he was living in France when Nazi Germany came in and took over France And he was made to enlist in the hated German army. And he hated being in the German army. But what he did is he soon began to work for the French underground. So he was kind of like an agent to alert the French underground when the Germans were going to do something. And so he did that for a while. But he hated the Germans so much that he finally just deserted that army and worked for the French underground. And in that time of service, he saw the full horrors of war after the war eventually he moved to Manhattan and he was an excellent music person and so he composed music for uh, many early TV shows and commercials and he also wrote some serious musical stuff. But in October 1962 his agent or somebody asked him to write a Christmas song. Now at the same time in October of 1962 the world was on edge because of what is known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Soviet Union and the United States were having a stare down. The Russians had installed missiles in Cuba. The US was threatening military action if those missiles weren't moved. The whole world was trembling and praying that Nuclear destruction wasn't immediately at hand. It was in that scenario that this man was asked to write a Christmas song. As he walked through the streets of New York, there was a sense of despair in the air, and nobody was smiling. This man had endured the horrors of war. He knew the fear and terror of being close to death. He was nervous that that was coming again. He, he recalled later on, he said, I'd thought I'd never write a Christmas song. Christmas had become so commercial. But this was the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. In the studio, the producer was listening to the radio to see if we had been obliterated. En route to my home, I saw two mothers with their babies in strollers. The little angels were looking each other, looking at each other and smiling. All of a sudden, my mood was extraordinary. The glimpse of these babies filled his heart with joy. The little ones reminded him of newborn lambs, and thus the song begins, said the night wind to the little lamb. As soon as he got home, he jotted down the lyrics. He got his wife to write the lyrics for the, the music for the song. His wife, Gloria, said later on, Noel wrote the beautiful song, I wrote the music. We couldn't even sing it, though, because it broke us up. We cried every time we tried to sing. You must realize there was a threat of nuclear war at that time. Do You Hear What I Hear carries a beautiful message close to people in all walks of life. It became a popular Christmas carol, but the message of peace was lost to so many. You'll see in the bulletin an insert of this song, Do You Hear What I Hear. This song that Caden said, hey, let's sing this. It is great-grandmother's house. We're going to sing it in a minute. But I want to point out one thing in here. And you'll see a lot of references to, uh, to Scripture, to uh, the birth of baby Jesus. But one thing I want to say, Sayer, that I came across It says in here, a star, a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. Now, we know that star as the Bethlehem star, but you know what? It could also have been interpreted as a nuclear missile going through the air. This morning, I've asked, and of course, a couple of them bailed on us. They must be sick today. Here comes Jarrah. Caden's not able to be with us today. Jarrah's going to come up, and Karen's going to come up. And Judy and Bill are going to come up, and David and Betty were supposed to come up, but they're not here. Who else was singing with us last Sunday? Tim and Rebecca. (laughs) Y'all thought y'all. One of y'all have to come up here. We're all going to stand, and we're going to sing the song that Caden said. Let's sing. The child said to the king, there's a child shivering in the cold, and the king said to the people, pray for peace, people everywhere, the child, the child who's sleeping in the night, he'll bring us goodness and light. This morning we proclaim Mary's song, a song of God turning everything upside down That a young child will lead the people to God's way. This morning I give thanks to Caden for helping point me in that way toward the birth of a baby. Now let us all.